Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley. Welcome back to Thread, episode 129. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Log on to Quinley.com. Thread. Thread is a podcast for leaders. It's a verse-by-verse Bible study where we look for examples of great leadership and sometimes poor leadership from the scriptures and we take instructions so that we can be more influential in our homes and in our businesses and our schools or wherever God has us placed to be a model and an influence for other people. Uh, Today we find ourselves in Acts chapter 23, the ongoing drama toward the end of the book of Acts as Paul goes from conflict to conflict and he's placed on an ever larger stage and he keeps having these big public moments where he he gets to speak to uh, to some people in leadership that you would never have a chance to get in to see and God is orchestrating a life story for Paul that is so dramatic and it gives him opportunities that most of us would never have as leaders but you're going to get something like it in your life and that's why The scripture records for us these examples so we can follow it when we get our our same situation. So let's jump right in. uh, We're going to start in verse 11 of chapter 23. It said, The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. You know, praise God for supernatural experiences when you're a leader, you know, because sometimes the load of the thing you are carrying is just so heavy and it just grinds on you. And there really is a sense in some of the situations that you and I will face as leaders that you're just alone. I mean, I am I'm more alone now than I've ever been because I'm in Thailand. I'm cut off from 20 years of relationships and um, staff development in Manila. We had I had three different staffs. I had one to run radio ministry. I had another one to run a seminary and I had another one to run a church. And I had very creative people, extremely competent people in all of these, and now we've moved to the Buddhist world in Southeast Asia, and it's an entirely different situation. My staff is extremely small, and they tend to come and go, uh, depending on their schedule and their ability to get visas uh, to live here. So, you know, there's, um, there are reasons why um, less than 3% of missionaries serve in the Buddhist world. But I want to be one of them. And so there are sometimes places that you just have to dig in and, and then you go through some things. And Paul is just, you know, he's cut off from his friends. He's been arrested. He's been beaten up. And now he's arrested by the Roman authorities. And he gets attacked day by day. And he just, you know, he's got to just feel so alone and so tired from all this, just the weariness. So praise God when the Lord just shows up. And you know, in my life, I never know when it's going to be. I'm just in a place, and suddenly God is there. His presence is real. He speaks to me also, and he encourages me. And God says some things to Paul. One of them is that Paul needs to get his mind 
set for a long battle. It's like this thing is going to drag on for a while. So you need to get your mind settled and, and be okay with this because this is your, your new normal for a while. And then he reminds him of the goal. Secondly, he says, hey, the goal is Rome. You stand before Caesar. You stand before the highest officials in the Roman government who have never heard the gospel, and you get to declare the gospel to them. That's going to happen, Paul. I'm going to make it happen. Third thing God is telling Paul is don't fear this conflict. You know, we are so scared of conflict. We just run away. But really, if we understood it, conflict is a necessary part of change coming. It's a necessary ingredient because something has to pry loose the way things are. And, uh, you know, gentle conversations can't get very far. There has to be a conflict. People don't like change. And when you bring, especially spiritual change, you bring a new gospel and you bring you bring Jesus to a culture that's never heard him before, you know, some people are going to embrace that immediately because they've been prepared by God to do so. But the leaders of the established religion and the tradition keepers and the ones who have family power and religious power, they are not going to welcome this because it threatens them. But God is telling Paul and he's telling us that Change requires a certain level of conflict. It does not mean that you have to get ugly with people. It doesn't mean that you pick fights. It doesn't mean that you're self-righteous and that you go off on people. Paul didn't do any of that. He is oh so reasonable and controlled, but still conflict is there, and you cannot avoid it. And I think the fourth thing that God says very clearly to Paul is, hey, be happy. You know, you wanted me to use your life, and I am. And this strategy is succeeding. You've already gotten to witness to every big name in Jerusalem. You know, all the Jewish leaders are there. The Roman leaders are there. And you're having a chance. You've had your chance now to open your heart and share your personal testimony. And you've been able to share about Jesus and what Jesus has done. You've shared the gospel to them. This thing's working. It's succeeding and so are you? And uh, he just encourages Paul in the night. God knows we need encouragement. And then he basically says to Paul, you're finished here. You know, you've done what you can do in Jerusalem, and I'm going to move you on. You've got to get, we've got to get you closer to Rome. So an event is needed because he's kind of at a stalemate. Uh, this is two times now the Jews have come together, and two times it's ended in screaming and yelling. And two times the Romans have had to come in and grab Paul physically and drag him back out. And Paul is sleeping up where the soldiers sleep. And this story is now kind of frozen in its place. And it needs an event to push it forward. And so an event is supplied in verse 12. It says, When it was day, some of the Jews banded together. And they bound themselves under an oath, saying they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Now, these are rash oaths, because I imagine these guys have grown, grew very hungry over the next few months. Now, there were more than 40 men who formed this conspiracy. And they came to the chief priests and elders, 
These are men without conscience. And they said, we've bound ourselves under a great oath. We will eat nothing until we kill Paul. Now, you, therefore, together with the council, suggest to the commander that Paul be brought down to you tomorrow as though you're going to make further inquiries about him. But we are ready to kill him before he even comes near. What they didn't notice was a little boy. Verse 16, when Paul's sister's son heard of their ambush, he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Uh, This is really important, and it's actually the subject of this thread, and that is people overlook, I'm calling it the overlooked power of children and youth. You know, people overlook kids. And these guys are having this, you know, diabolical conversation. And there's a little boy in the room somewhere in the corner or walking by. I don't know where they were having their big talk. But this kid hears it. And everybody, you know, they didn't even notice him, hear it. But he paid attention. He's Paul's nephew. And so he scoots out of there. You know, nobody notices kids. But this little guy, he listened well. He had street smarts. He had boldness. And he had great communication abilities. I used to love as a kid to um, sort of scoot in beside the sofa or even behind the sofa when my mom and dad had their friends over and there were all these adult conversations going on in the room and they talk about all kinds of things that nobody talks to kids about and they would sometimes forget that I was there and conversations would keep developing and wow, you just learn about the whole real world, the adult world that's going on, but... I understood what was being said, and so did this little boy. You know, I heard a story once. I'm just saying all this to say people so often, uh, they overlook children and what they are capable of. I heard a story about, this is about, eh, call it 20 years ago, when uh, Chinese persecution was very common and very real, and I heard about a group that was slipping into China to do pastor's training for the shepherds of the underground church, and they had a group come together to be trained, and it was a bunch of, uh, a bu- bunch of men and uh, some older women, and then there was this one girl who was like 12 in the group, and the trainers said to the organizers, they said, you know, this, this group is good, and, but that little girl is a little bit too young to be here. Well, actually, she's a lot too young because pastoring is dangerous. And anyway, this, she won't understand what we're talking about because we're going to talk about shepherding people and, and leadership and, you know, what a, what a pastor is. And so we, we need, she probably needs to leave. And everybody looked at them with just total astonishment. And they said, but she won those men to the Lord and discipled them. You know, you just overlook them. You don't understand all the things a child is capable of doing. And this little boy finds his own way to the Roman garrison, gets himself through the guards, gets himself into Paul's room, and tells Paul exactly what he just heard. Then Paul has absolute confidence in his ability to be a messenger, And verse 17 says, Paul called a centurion. So this is a man over a hundred others. And he said, take this young man to the commander. He has something to tell him. 
So he took him and brought him to, to the commander and said, Paul the prisoner called me and asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to say. Now here is where we see a difference. Because Lysias, the commander, he does not overlook this child. You know, you don't hear him saying, hey, little boy, would you like to go outside and play? Or you want some candy? He says, he pulls him aside, like, discreetly. And he says, what is your message? You know, what do you have to say to me? He understands. He treats him as his bravery demands. He treats this child as a serious demeanor deserves because, you know, children are involved in a lot of things all over the world, some quite horrible, like war. Uh, but, you know, there are a lot of kids that by eight, nine years old, they're working a job and they are taking care of family needs. And that might be unfortunate, but it says a lot about what a kid can do. I mean, kids that get themselves to a place to do work at eight, nine, ten years old and are able to do something that's productive all day long and, you know, that they're that responsible. And so this man treats this boy like a man because he's doing a man thing. And uh, I love this kid because he is so confident. The young man says in verse 20, Jews have agreed. I mean, he, he even summarizes the case. The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring, see, see what he does. He doesn't go through the whole, I was here, I heard him say that, he said that, and he said that. He just summarizes it. Bottom line for you, sir. The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they're going to inquire fully. Now he dares to give him instruction. Do not yield to them. More than 40 of them lie in wait for them, men who have bound themselves by an oath that they will not eat nor drink until they have killed him, and now they are ready and they are waiting for a word from you. So the commander let the young man depart and commanded him, tell no one what you have, that you have revealed these things to me. Um, you know, this little boy, I just think he is so cool. And you know what? It says something about Paul's family. Paul comes from strong stock. He has a family that doesn't let kids raise themselves. They raise their kids, and they raise them to be competent and independent. I mean, I don't know how old this young man was, but he was out in the streets by himself. He had freedom of motion. He was able to go around. And, you know, we had a lot more of this in previous generations. We didn't uh, keep kids so safe all the time. Um, you know, I can remember being, what, eight years old? Me and my bicycle and my whole town, and I mean, my, my town is pretty, it's LaGrange, LaGrange, Georgia, which wasn't just a small place. And there were places, you know, I, could, I would go down to that end of town, and we had football practice, and there were places I could go swim, and then I could get on my bike and ride over. I had a lot of freedom, a lot of liberty, and kids all over the world are, are a lot more raised like that than, you know, raised all uh, wrapped in bubble wrap and all their playgrounds foam on the ground lest they skin their little knees. You know, we're raising the most risk-averse generation ever in the West, and we'll just see what happens in the future because these are also the kids that don't move out of the house, and they're 35 and 40 years old, and they still live at home because they're not brave enough to take that leap but part of that is they've, they've not been, you know, trained to be little men and little women like this kid was. So I just want to encourage you, understand all that a child is. Actually, let's spend a minute talking about this. 
if you intend to reach a harvest, like you, know, you want to lead people to Christ and have good results, well, let me go ahead and, and help you with a very key strategy. It's called the 414 window. And it simply means this 80, get this, 80% of all the people who come to Christ do so by the end of their 14th year. So before you're 15 years of age, 80% of all conversions take place. So is your ministry focusing 80% of its money and people and activity at the age group 4 to 14? I don't know anybody that does that. We, you know, we take these kids in a lot of churches and we stick them in front of TV sets and puppets and games, and we just entertain them for the little hour that we get them for an entire week, and we blow it. This is the most important uh, age group in the world if you want to see a harvest. And Vietnamese people have really gotten a hold of this. You know, The church in Vietnam has done an exceptional amount of work with teenagers because they knew from communism uh, that that's when the deep work is done. You get them in that pre-adolescent phase, and that's when the mind, you know, Hitler understood that. There is a power in children. As children are turning into early teenagers, that is like the most important moment of all. I think age 14 is the most important year of anyone's life because you decide what kind of big person you're going to be, and you make a decision, and you act on it. We've got a, um, a young lady that we've supported for many years who understands this, and she really does put 100% of her energy uh, focused on reaching this young group. She is um, she's a provincial girl named Joanne, and she, had, she went to Bible school in Manila, and she had to do a project. She had to teach some kids an outdoor sort of Bible study outreach. And she was walking through the squatters area. And in Manila, they have well over a million people that live in cardboard homes and little pieces of aluminum nailed together. They, they're squatters. They're on land that they don't own. They're on the backside of factories and railroad tracks. And uh, they're really not rivers. They're runoff spillways for where the rains hit and the government will have these water areas. And so, you know, there's little pieces of land on the side, and they'll take those and build. And they're just horrible places to grow up. It's full of crime. The, the adults who live there are often so beaten down. They're alcoholics. They hardly have any employment themselves. Their spirit is broken. Um, and, but there's millions of people being raised in that. And so Joanne went down into that, and she saw these kids, and she said, go get your friends. I'm going to tell you a story. And they ran and got about a dozen friends, and she told them, I think her opening story was Jonah. And she began to lay a biblical foundation in their life, and she went back the next week and the next week, and that's been about 12 years. And now... A dozen kids have grown into 10,000 kids. They meet in a hundred different locations all over South Manila, and the groups are led by other kids. She learned early that she could not sustain scaling up her work if she depended upon 
middle-class people doing this work as outreach for them. And so, you know, on, like on Saturday, coming down to the squatters areas with her and doing, you know, their, their service, some people do that. But by and large, she realized if I want to grow this, I'm going to have to turn to the kids who live in this neighborhood anyway. So she started a program. And this program is a leadership and personal development program. It is an education. It has an educational arm to it. And she just starts working with them. And uh, we have, like, let me just tell you one story. A young lady named Queenie. And Queenie was from a family that had never even had a high school graduate. And a lot of these families, the hardest, Joanne says, the hardest thing she faces is getting past the parents, that these parents are so beaten down and defeated, and they do not want their kids to hear the gospel. They don't want hope. They don't want change. They don't believe there can be change. And Joanne comes in there and tells them, that the gospel is for them, and the heart of the gospel is the promise of change, and that God has sent her into their neighborhood to tell them that he has a plan for them, that they are the child of promise, and that as they receive the Lord, they enter his kingdom, and a whole new set of rules applies to them. God will provide for them, and if they will persevere, they are not only going to graduate high school, but they have college out in front of them. They can be a college graduate, and they can take their whole family out of this squatters area. They just have to have faith. They have to believe God, and they have to completely buy in to the gospel and the kingdom and follow Jesus and watch what will happen to their lives. And sure enough, it happens. And Queenie was 16 years old, and she looked outside, and a group was gathering, and she slipped out and joined the group, and these kids were gathering, and there was this young group leader, so confident. She had never seen a child so confident, and um, so powerful, so clear, and just teaching and telling the stories and calling them to repent and calling them to enter God's kingdom and be changed. And she so wanted to be like that group leader. And that group leader's name was Kim. And the amazing thing is, Kim was only 10 years old. But she had been mentored herself. And so Queenie, 16, follows after Kim. Like, I want to be like you. I want to be like you. And became a group leader also. And this is another really interesting part of Joanne's program. And that is, you don't necessarily earn leadership by like being a great kid for a long time. You sign up to be in the leadership group, and by doing that, you bind yourself to live a certain kind of life. Uh, they're not even necessarily Christians when they start, but they are going to follow and work with Christian leaders. And so basically, they're just being mentored. They're signing up to be mentored, and along the way, they themselves come to Christ. And it's just amazing the results that she's having. And this leadership group is the group that I'm the most fascinated with because the whole thing depends on them and they're just kids that have been beaten down all their life but because somebody doesn't overlook the power of children and youth but joanne sees that focuses on it she sees it and if you want to see queenie's video i think you'd love it uh, check out our ministry website emergemissions.org emergemissions.org um, queenie's story is at the very top of the page
Well, uh, back to our story. This young man gets the ear of the commander, and the commander right away flies into action. He writes a letter to a governor of a nearby province, and he sends soldiers in the night, and they put Paul on horseback, and they march him off, and they begin. So he is moved in the night under heavy guard out of the city of Jerusalem, and he moves him down to the next place where God has prepared in Caesarea that Paul will be kept, and he will have another chance to witness before great leaders and those who are nobles in their land and be able to share the gospel with him. God has a work for Paul, and God has a work for you, but part of that work, my friend, is for you to spot children that God is leading to you, children and extremely young teenagers that God will bring into your past because you need to mentor them. They are open, they're approachable, they are listening to you, and they will hang on your every word. So reach down deeper in the age group than you might normally would go because there's some gold down in those kids. That's all for now. Expect God to use you. If you want to talk to me directly, just email me, chuck at quinley.com. I would love to hear from you. See you next time for more On Thread.